Welcome to the Nobody Told Me That podcast. My name is Teresa Duncan, and my goal is to share information that you probably weren't thinking about. I love preparing my friends for situations that may come completely out of the blue. I also want to share with you many of the tidbits I picked up over the years. If you absolutely have to tune out before the end of the show, make sure you check out the show notes for more details and information on today's topic. And thank you so much for making me a part of your day. Welcome to another edition of Nobody Told Me That. I am continuing the insurance geek love here. I have my friend Rick Garofalo from Practice Mechanics. He is the practice mechanic. He is also the owner and I would say curator. And let me get the name because it's a mouthful here. The Dental Billing Coding and Insurance Academy Facebook group. How are you, Rick? I'm good. How are you? It's always a pleasure to talk insurance, to talk shop. I know we're going to talk about non-insurance topics, but I just know what unites us in this world, Rick, is our love of insurance. Absolutely. Provider manuals on our nightstand. That's right. I always say 50 shades of Delta. That's my reading material. (laughs) So you were at the ADOM conference recently, as was I, and you had two very popular courses. What was the title of that one course that you gave twice now? It was 50 Things You Don't Know. Things You Don't Know About Running a Business. So it was very popular. I heard very good feedback. And I know you had only two hours. I know you thought you had three hours, but you had two hours. So you were like really flying through there. And we got on for our pregame. I said, let's figure out how we can bring this magic to the podcast. So I asked you to come up with a list of what you'd like to talk about, like what was really the big topic of it. You were gracious enough to say, hey, yeah, I've got a whole list. Let's get the one out of the way, though, Rick, because everybody is going to ask about this one. The Cures Act. Yes. The Cures Act. So can you explain what the heck that is? And then you and I can give our stock answer. (laughs) Absolutely. Basically, the Cures Act, just so everybody knows and understands, was signed back in 2016, December of 2016, by President Obama. Basically, what it did is put into place certain laws that healthcare providers and insurance companies have to follow as far as releasing patients' information. The big parts of it, I always say it's kind of divided into three parts. Number one is ease of access. You have to provide immediate release of information when a when a patient requests their record. HIPAA says 30 days. The Cures Act says immediate. Immediate. Like as soon as they ask you, if they're standing in front of you, you got to say, here's our portal and here you go. Exactly. And that's wow. the second part of it is you have to have a portal or an app for patients to be able to access their records on the go. For dentists, that's a big thing. Mm-hmm. For medical, they already do it. I actually, this morning at 720, had an appointment at my lab for a blood draw. It's a 15-minute drive from the lab to my office. I did my drive live video this morning as I was driving from the lab to the office. And before I got here, the results of my lab testing were on the app that my lab had. Wow. In 15 minutes. 
Medical's already doing it. Dental has to catch up. Notes, images, x-rays, that all has to be available on either a web portal or an app for your patients immediately. And that is different than us logging in remotely to our own practice management system. We obviously don't want our patients logging into that. So there has to be some patient facing, which is the problem because every software that you and I have talked to are all saying, oh yeah, we're working on it. So, I mean, is that all you're saying to people? That's all I'm saying. That's all we can say at this point. You know, the the web portal app access doesn't go into effect until 2022, which is only a few months away, <laughs> but it doesn't go into effect yet. But all the software companies I've talked to, some of the third parties like RevenueWell and some of the others, they're working on it. You know, they're they're all telling me, I mean, I had a call with the regulatory department at Patterson last week and they said, yeah, we'll have no problem being ready for 1-1. It's not going to be a problem. So, you know, right now in 2021, it's nothing to freak out about because all you have to be doing right now is giving patients their records. Mm -hmm. The software companies have to worry about having that API connection between an app or a web portal and the software. And it's, you know, before everybody freaks out, it's a read only thing. They can't write a note in your software. All they can do is view their chart. That's it. I wouldn't mind getting notes through that. I'd rather them do that than leave a note on Yelp. I mean, if you're going to leave me some hate mail, send it internally, right? Right. I do think that you're not going to have very many patients who are educated on it. So that's one saving grace that patients aren't going to come in and say, oh, I know this law. Unless, of course, they're in the DC area like I am and everybody knows every law, unfortunately. Basically, the companies, the software companies, if they don't have it ready, it's Really, the fine should go back on them, I believe. So if you get fined by anybody and it's your software company that should have had it, that's going to be an interesting back and forth with the companies. Do you think they're going to charge extra for it? I haven't really gotten a sense. I haven't gotten a sense either. I personally think what's going to happen is the software companies are going to do, you know, and this is terrible to say, but the bare bones. Here's what the law says we have to provide. And then just like with everything, those third-party vendors are going to take it and run with it and say, oh, well, we want to not only give them the ability to view their ledger, which is part of what they have to be able to view, but wouldn't it be nice if right through there they could click a button and pay their balance? Yeah. So the third-party vendors will be the ones who will take it and run and make it a fully functional tool that every office really at that point should be using. Oh, exciting. Another monthly bill. Yay. Big clap. (laughs) Exactly. So let's get off of this topic because honestly, on your group, someone's asking it five times a day. I know that it's, this isn't going to stop. We're going to get the question over and over. You get it more than I do because you're actually like known as a HIPAA person. I'm happy to send people your way on this. Oh, thank you. I (laughs) certainly appreciate that. You guys don't see the the big grin I have on my face. (laughs) So what is a topic that was hot and and topical down there in ADOM? Well, the first topic, as we were going through the 50 things, the first topic and probably, I won't say the one that got the biggest surprise, but one that I was surprised people didn't ever think about was net patient numbers. You know, a portion of my 50 things 
probably nine or 10 of them were about KPI, looking at your numbers, knowing your profit and loss and all that fun stuff. And one of the things we talk about is net patient numbers. Okay. So KPI is key performance indicators. I just want to be respectful of my newbies, my new ducklings that listen in. So key performance indicator, you will see that a lot in articles and uh, in webinars like that Rick and I give. Go ahead. So sorry. So we're looking at net patient numbers because I hear all the time, hey, we got 55 new patients last month. We got 82 new patients last month. That's wonderful. Growth is is important, you know. That's that's my thing. Growth always in always. That's I love that. But how many patients did you keep? How many did you lose? And that's what people fail to think about is those fall-offs, you know, and it's not just well we had two patients call because they're moving away and we had one who passed away and we saw her obituary in the in the newspaper, but those people who fell off your schedule, those patients who were due, you know, were due for a recall last month, yeah, didn't come, don't have an appointment scheduled. They are, if they don't have an appointment on the books, in my mind, if they're past due for their recall, they're a lost patient. We can still act, reactivate them, but right now they're a loss. And, you know, if you're getting 50 new patients a month, but you're losing 65, you are slowly going out of business and you don't know it. This is the important part of making sure that you have capacity. You are so 100% on this because people are thinking, oh, 50, 60 patients a month that are new. But if you are maxed and your recare, you can't see them until March or April. You're really at a deficit and you don't realize it. You're losing people who could very easily go somewhere else who just aren't thinking of you. What are you doing with those patients that you have treatment plans for? So were the questions of disbelief or were they of shock? Probably half of them were, why didn't I ever think about this before? Nobody ever told me that. Right. The (laughs) other half were, how do we find that out in our software? And that seemed to be a kind of resounding theme over the class both days was, well, we have Dentrix. How do we do that? We have EagleSoft. How do we do that? We have Open Dental. How do we do that? I'm like, aha, take my eight hour class and I'll show you for each one of the three. <laughs> I didn't have time. You know, people don't know how to do that. So if you don't know in EagleSoft, it's the recall wizard. It's very simple. It's, it's three clicks and you have your answer. Mm-hmm. But those are the same three clicks that you would use to do a reactivation campaign for patients who did fall off your schedule. And it was scary how many people didn't know how to run that report. Well, how long have you worked? Well, I've been at the same office for 14 years. When did you switch to EagleSoft? They had it when I started. And you still don't know how to pull the reactivation report? Yeah. You know, that's scary at how many patients they've lost over the years just because they never called them to say, hey, you didn't come in for your appointment. You left last time and you never scheduled your six month and now you're due. You know, how much loss, how much turnover have they had patient-wise? When you quantify that, and of course, it's always going to be an estimate because it's an opportunity loss, you know, opportunity cost that is lost. It's hard to quantify that, but when you do, the number is actually pretty staggering. And sometimes when you run that report the first time as a manager, you're not going to want to show your doctor because it's going to be like, oh, I should have done this. 
So doctors may not even be aware that this is going on. Hopefully the manager is trying to fix it on the back end. I have to believe though, that there are managers out there who would love to know this. It's just that nobody ever trained them for it or they didn't pay for training. So let's give a shout out to Andre. Andre Chardin has, in my opinion, you two, you three, with along with Adam's uh, Facebook group, the three top dental management billing Facebook groups. It's Andre's EagleSoft Field Guide, right? That's the one. I just have it bookmarked. So yep. if you're not an EagleSoft user, still go over there, though, because it's really, really good advice as far as reporting and how to run it and the philosophy behind all that. And he has it curated really well. The reason I like those three Facebook groups as opposed to many of the others is that if Andre sees something wrong or Rick, if you see something wrong, you squash it. Right. Whereas in Adom too, you know, they'll remove a vendor that's going a little bit crazy, that type of thing. But a lot of Facebook groups, the misinformation, and I know that that's a word that nobody likes hearing anymore, but the bad information that's out there right. just, just spreads and it, it's terrible stuff. So I like going to Facebook groups where I know if bad information is going around, somebody's going to pop in and go, no, no, no. I appreciate that from both you and Andre and the Adon group. So Andre Chardin's EagleSoft Field Guide. That's the group. Run the reports and find out. And we'll talk about Rick's speaking schedule at the end. I will have that link in the show notes because he loves the road. He's got that full eight-hour class that you would sometimes do two days. I do. Okay. I love those Friday, Saturday classes, you know, especially in destination places, Niagara <laughs> Falls and Miami. I What I enjoy most about the road is talking to the people outside of the class. In the lobby at Adam, I mean, I would walk through the lobby to go get a Diet Coke from the the store there. Mm -hmm. And four hours later, I'm walking back up to my room because you see 15 different people. That's what I love about the road. It's so funny because Noah was with me. You met my son. Noah was with me at the meeting and he's like, why are we going down so early? I said, you'll see. And (laughs) We made it in time for breakfast. And he's like, wow, you know, and he he had gone down earlier and he'd come back up to get me. I said, you you have to see it to believe it. Like you're going to get on the elevator and the smiling and the joking is going to start. Taking your class is the way to go. But we kind of gave them a hint, the recal wizard, taking a look at who hasn't been scheduled and people who are showing up in the obituaries. We count those two. Right. And people, of course, who request their records and who are leaving. I imagine that was eye opening. What else did you hit them with? The next thing, you know, when we talk about, because I kind of went from the key performance indicators, those KPIs, and the the numbers of the business to leading the business. Mm. You know, the next thing I talked about was honestly where I think most managers and business owners fail, which is setting expectations for your team. I see so many office managers who will say, they'll post in my group or, or in the ADOM group, you know, how, how do I handle my treatment coordinator who only is making 10 phone calls a day to, to reactivate patients? How many calls do you expect her to make? Well, I'd like her to make 40. Have you told her that? Well, no, she should know that. <laughs> oh, the management by osmosis. Right. If you're not communicating to your team, what your expectations are, and then following up with monitoring their performance, you can't blame them. You know, and one of my one of my favorite cartoons, and I have it hanging in my office here, and 
I try to put it in as many presentations as I can about this is, you know, if you remember Dilbert yes, and the boss is saying, you know, how are you doing on the expectations on meeting your goals? Well, what goals? The expectations I set for you that I forgot to tell you about. (laughs) That's it. But that's what it is. And it happens so often. I mean, I, I, I see the post three, four, five times a week on Facebook. What do I do? This person isn't meeting my expectations. Have you told them that's what your expectations are? No, they should know to just make as many as they can. No, you know, that's not the way it works. Here's a scenario for you. What if I'm a brand new manager and I have no idea what the expectations are? I mean, the only thing I know is that this is what I would do. I would work it to death, right? So for me, that's the goal. Where does a new manager get that information to set that goal? Well, I would start with, depending on what type of goal it is. If it's a, I need you to work the reactivation, you need to work the recall system, calling on those patients who have fallen off the schedule. Here's how many holes a week we have to fill. Let's make five times as many calls as we have holes. We have six holes a day. We need to make 30 calls. Then this is the key part of it. You have to monitor the numbers because if you're making 30 calls, getting 29 people to answer the phone, but you're only scheduling one, Mm. now I know where to help you. Your script, what you're saying to them needs help. Right. If you're making 30 calls and only one person is answering the phone, now we need to look at what time are you calling? Are you calling at 2.30 in the afternoon when these people are at work? Do I need to have you maybe work one day until six or seven at night, come in later so you can hit them when they're at home before dinner, what, you know, dinner, homework, bath time, all that fun, all that fun stuff. You know, you need to find the right groove to get the people to answer the phone, you know? So, but you have to start somewhere, right? Pick a number and then monitor the performance. You know, we use a call log that here's the patient that we called. Here's why I called them reactivation, unscheduled treatment, whatever it may be. Did they answer the phone? Yes or no. Did I leave a message? Yes or no. And what was the conversation and what's my follow-up date? Yeah. The follow-up date is I think what a lot of people don't make a note about. And so they just figure I'll catch this on the next cycle that I do it. And then you don't actually get that because you're doing something else. So there has to be some sort of pop-up or reminder for you to do that follow-up or look at the call log like you're talking about. That's the key. That helps me. You know, I I always have said if, you know, and listen, I I have a sizable team here at my office. Mm-hmm. If I have to let somebody go, because that's the big thing managers message me, I probably get 10 a day. Oh, how to fire someone? I hate firing people. How do I fire people? I'm like, if I have to fire somebody, it's not their fault. I failed. That's truly the way I look at it. After 30 days. Well, actually after 15 days, because some people are just freaking nuts. So I'm not going to take responsibility for the first 15 days when they're still showing me they're nuts. Oh. that's right but listen if you're 15 days into your employment with me and you've missed six out of your 10 working days that's on you that's on you yeah but if you've been here and you show up and i haven't given you the tools i haven't given you the training i haven't given you the technology i haven't given you the ability to do what i'm expecting you to do 
-hmm. You're not failing. I am. I really take that to heart to the point that, I mean, before I fire somebody, we'll do a performance improvement plan that gives them another 30, 60, 90 days, depending on the plan. Everybody at ADOM was like, can we get a copy of that? Can we get a copy of that? Absolutely. It's there. It's free. Take it, use it, customize it because there, it has seven sections. Five of the seven sections on that PIP, that performance improvement plan, are what the company is going to do to help you. Only two out of the seven are what the employee needs to do. Yeah, that's key. I love it. That's so important, but it all begins with telling them what I expect out of them. That's the key. And there's really not an excuse of, I was so busy, it got away from me. I mean, if you're taking on the role of manager, there has to be some accountability there. You have to make sure that you have that time to do it. Right. For new managers that are listening, just still trying to get their feet wet, you're not going to knock it out of the park the first time. You're going you're gonna to mess up some. I did, for sure. Give yourself a little bit of grace, but the better you get at it, the more you do it, the better you're going to be at managing that onboarding process. Man, the onboarding process is such a, it's so delicate. And if you get it wrong, it really has such reverberations through the whole team. So it's hard enough to even find good people, but then you got to make sure the onboarding is accurate, you know? So right. that's a whole, whole thing. Now that PIP is on your resources page. It is. Okay. I will link that. And uh, I was telling Rick that I sent a ton of people to that page because it's got that HIPAA form. It's got the upgrade form. It's got a whole bunch of other stuff. It's It's truly a resource page. So- it will be in the show notes, and I hope that you take advantage of it. While you're there, quick plug, sign up for any newsletter that he's got there. Just sign up so you can keep up to date on that kind of stuff. When you said that about how you're firing someone, it really is a reflection on you. What was the reaction of managers in the audience? A couple of them said, well, what if they, what if they don't show up? What if they just stop coming to work? Of course, you got to fire them. There's very few things like that. There are a few things that I can't control. And that's what I always say. You know, when I have my clients who will say, oh, no, we, we cannot find a front desk team. We need two new people at the front desk and we can't find anybody. Everybody is, you know, they either want $187 an hour. They just <laughs> awful and have terrible references. What do I do? Like, do you have a favorite restaurant? Yes. Do you have a favorite server? Yes hire him or her. And now the restaurant owners are like, oh no. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> you know, I can train somebody on how to use open dental. I can train somebody on how many surfaces a tooth has and what the code is for a crown. Sure. I cannot train work ethic, customer service, and attitude. You either right. have it or you don't. Those things, if your work ethic is awful, I can't help you. And then I really don't feel bad firing you. Right. <laughs> if your attitude is terrible, not only do I not feel bad, I kind of feel good about firing. <laughs> but if you show up and you want to learn and I'm not teaching you because I'm busy, I'm doing a hundred other things. I have this going on. Well, guess what? I make it a point to spend time with my new employees when I have new employees start here. Oh, but you know, all the work that you're supposed to be doing, when does that get done? 9, 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night, because they're important here. And like you said, it has a long reaching ripple effect on everybody here when the onboarding process isn't done properly. 
the morale is so fragile in offices. Even if you have a super strong team that's been there for a long time, it will surprise team members how one thing you never saw coming just kills the whole web of morale that you've built up. It's very easily broken. You constantly have to work at it. It is. And I will say, you know, before I get too sidetracked, because you know how I think we both are and we get (laughs) often, one of the other things that I talked about in my class was a poll that I posted in the ADOM group, October of 2019 and October of 2020. And that poll was, here are 10 things, rank them in order of importance from one being the most important to 10 being the least about your workplace. And it was what my pay is, that I feel included in decision-making, that I can trust my owner, that I you know, have a safe working condition, and all of those different things. It was incredibly eye-opening for me to see that salary and benefits in October of 2019 came in third, and in October of 2020 came in fifth because safety in the workplace went way up in October of 2020. Right, absolutely. That was the killer, but it's not always money that is driving your team. And like you said, it's a very fragile team to begin with, but one little bit of seventh grade drama. Yes. (laughs) You can lose five good people that have been with you for 20 years because the new person for three months is causing drama and you're not addressing it. Yes, it's the bad drama llama. I love llamas, but the bad drama llama needs to go. You get one in there, that's it. (laughs) And that all is part of setting the expectation. And I tell everybody when I have my first day little meeting with all my new hires every week or two or however often they start, we don't do drama. If one time this person's kind of acting like a seventh grader, this person's being a mean girl, that they're starting to form a little clique, somebody goes because I don't do it. I need to do something about mean girls for real. Like there needs to be some sort of mean girls class, like anti-mean girls. Somebody needs to teach that because it really is a problem in, in our dental offices. And I know that sounds sexist, but let's be real. It's mostly female. I mean, I think I've worked with seven males in a healthcare setting, in a work setting. Honestly, most of them have been females and there's just drama and Mean girls, mean guys, whatever, just mean people stink. But the mean girls thing is real. It's real. And I know it's, I know you're probably like, I ain't touching that with a 10 foot pole. I get it. But he's like, no, I'm not teaching that class. But I will teach that class. (laughs) And then you can sit in the back and just nod if I'm on the right track. (laughs) I won't call you out. I don't know if my neck can handle all that nodding. (laughs) So let's talk about. The third, because you've been you've been cruising right along here. Let's get into the third one. We might get through all 50. The third one, and again, something that is always a hugely popular discussion in every group is records releases. Mm. HIPAA, what does HIPAA require? And as much as I want to say it ties in with the Cures Act, because I don't want to talk about that anymore ever again, <laughs> even though I know I'm going to every 20 minutes for the rest of my life. But records releases per HIPAA, 2013, HIPAA changed the rules and said you don't need a signed release 
to send a patient's records to another provider. And every day I get asked, can you believe this office emailed me and said, I don't have to have a signed records release to send them the patient's x-rays. Yeah, I can believe that they're right. What do you mean? Here's the link to the hhs.gov website that says you don't need a patient, you don't even need their consent, let alone a signed release in order to send the patient's records to another covered entity. So it's not just another doctor, it's an insurance company or a clearinghouse. It's in the process of the care of that patient that they, that's why insurance carriers can see the information because it's in the process of your care. Right. So if you try not to think of it as a permissions, that other doctor is participating in the patient's care. So they're part of the care and that's how you can sort of shift your thinking on that. But that ties into something bigger. And maybe this is more of a philosophical question. I know that we have people coming in that aren't necessarily trained to be managers, much less dental people. They're just coming in. They're doing the best that they can. There is no one link. I mean, help ADA. I know they like to think that they are that link, but they're not. They don't have everything that's needed. ADOM does its best. You do your best. I do my best. There's not one place where if a new person steps in, they get all of those links that you're talking about. HHS updates, the OSHA updates, if they're Medicare providers, you know, if they're enrolled, there's not one place that's going to email them everything that they need to be a manager to stay on top of rules and regulations. That's really a problem because it's very easy to operate outside of these rules. And and you can't say, I didn't know, you know, nobody told me that you can't say that it's just not acceptable. But I feel for these managers that they get blindsided. I know your resources page has tons of information, but are there certain sites that you keep bookmarked that are very helpful that you think a new manager could use? Well, and that's part, I'll say part of the problem. You know, I mean, there are, I subscribe to the OSHA, the Department of Labor OSHA newsletter. People, I'm typing this so that I'll, I'll have sort of a little bullet point list for you. Rick's cheat sheet. I subscribe to the Office of Civil Rights newsletter. I get, I mean, heck, I even subscribe to the department, the United States Department of Defense newsletter, because 99 newsletters out of 100 are, here's a printed out conversation between Assistant Secretary of Defense and the King of Bermuda (laughs) talking about this, about, you know, security in the ocean. But that one that says, here's the budget that we have set for dental care for our active duty mm-hmm. military. One applies to me out of 100, but I have to read all 99 just to make sure. Yep, you've got it. I don't miss something. So it is a lot of information. I have two people here in my office who do nothing full time, but read the new laws. The Department of Labor comes out with a new standard a new mandate, a new issue, a new research project every single day. It takes a lot to stay up on that. You know, I did, it's actually funny, I did try to build like a toolkit for office managers. And listen, we all know dentists are a special breed of people. I love them. 
but it takes one dentist to say, well, I'd like to see where he heard that. Here's the link. Well, the ADA doesn't know about it. I don't believe it. I actually had somebody from ADOM who was in the Saturday class. We talked about the Cures Act briefly for, you know, two and a half minutes. She went back. The day she got back, she talked to her owner. Her owner called his delegate at the ADA. His delicate delegate. Wow, I can't say delegate today. The delicate delegate. His delicate delegate said, I've not heard anything about it. This guy must be making it up. Oh. So he went, the dentist went back to the office manager who was at ADOM and said, I don't know who you heard this from, but my delicate delegate said (laughs) it doesn't exist. So she emailed me and I said, well, here's the link to the ONC website. Email them. So she did. And guess what? The federal government in its complete inefficiency responded to her email in less than 90 minutes and said, yes, it's true. Yes, the bullet points you listed below are accurate. And yes, it applies to dental. So then she called Patterson, talked to their regulatory department, just like I did, and was told, oh, yeah, we know all about it. We're working on it. Okay, great. Went back to the dentist. Here's the email from the regulatory department at Patterson. Here's the email from the ONC. Here's the email from my Patterson rep. And here's the website. It's accurate. It's not accurate. The ADA doesn't know anything about it. I'm not paying you anymore to research this. It's not real. Wow. There's fines for that. She said, so now, and this kind of goes along with setting expectations. Now you have an office manager who's emailing me now instead of from her work email for information about the Cures Act, emailing from her personal email at 10 o'clock at night saying he doesn't trust the education that he paid me to go get. How much does he value me at the office? Oh, So now I'm, like I said, I'm feeling terrible because I'm like, wow, I made this woman now question her career, question her, her employer. Then I'm like, well, wait, was it me? Or was it him just saying, if this one person at the ADA doesn't know about it, it can't be true? Well, I work a lot with the ADA and I appreciate all the efforts that they have, but they also are on a skeleton crew right now. They may not be up on it. And I think there's no one at the ADA that will disagree with me on this. Things move very slowly at the ADA. Right. I mean, I'm not surprised that there's a gap in the time that they published something about it. I'm sure they know about it, but maybe that delicate delegate did not. Maybe a committee. Right. I'm sure a committee is aware of it, but it hasn't trickled down to the rest of the people. And I know that SmileCon's coming up. They're going to have their the big meeting, all of the constituents, and I'm sure there'll be notifications there because then the big, you know, the the minutes and the budget and the plan and all that get printed out. It is interesting how she is looking to double check everything. So good on her. I want to, if she's listening to the podcast, I want to call her out. I think that's fantastic that she's double checking it because had she stopped with the dentist saying, no, no, that's not right. They would really be surprised in a little bit. So good on her for continuing to push the the line there. Yeah. But I do think though, keeping up top on these regulations is not what it was when I was a baby manager. This was, this is nothing like what I had to deal with. And if you look at DSOs and group practices, you have two people that are doing nothing but reading. DSOs, they have people in departments. That's all they do is keep on top of this stuff. Our little solo offices or our multi-location offices that are still growing, they don't have one person in charge of keeping them out of jail or not being fined. And that, I think, is the hard part. 
It definitely is. I mean, we talk about that all the time. There's so many rules. Maybe that should be our joint project, some website where every resource possible is is linked down to what posters you need to hang in your break room state by state. Oh, Lord, that's you, because that's boring. That's you. (laughs) But I hear what you're saying, though. There needs to be some sort of repository. And like I said, I don't want to discount what all the other companies that you and I work with do. It's just that they also have other things that they're doing. Their main priority is not that. Right. You and I look at a lot of sites, so perhaps that is something that we talk about offline. I'm sure there's other people that you and I know that are great at these specific areas. We could probably do something like that. I just think it's harder than ever now to be a manager, harder than ever to be a dental manager. Right. When I first started, I mean, I was I was an office manager. That's that's how I started. I, a lot of people don't know that. You want to share that that story of how you got into dentistry? I'll give you the quick version. I accidentally married a dentist once by accident, and I wouldn't do it again. I don't know how you accidentally marry somebody, but I'm not going to press you on that. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and then I I got pulled from my business world. You know, I was a business guy. I did venture capital. I did, you know, headhunting and coaching and consulting and all those things in general business and bought and sold companies and married a dentist. And three years later, I'm a practice management consultant. She got you with that molar talk, didn't she? Oh, I got sucked in bad. So sexy, that molar talk. I'm telling you. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, I've been there and as terrible as this sounds, the internet wasn't than what it was now. Oh, no. Are you kidding me? We had asked Jeeves. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Yes, we did. <laughs> and people are like, what the heck's a Jeeves? It is like Google's really dumb brother that never left his room. Exactly. <laughs> but I almost feel like it's harder to find information now than it was then because back then there was, you know, if I Googled, what is the CDT code for this? I got two websites. One, it was, you know, Joe's CD, CDT code webpage. And one was the ADA. They both said different things. And gee, which one should I listen to? Yeah. But now you Google, what is the CDT code for an extraction during which I cut the tooth, I section the tooth, and you're going to get 155,000 results. They're all going to be different, and you have no idea which one to follow. Well, they're going to be from 2013. They're going to be from 2009. And it's so funny that you said that because 4910 and 1110, I had to research something about that. It was a a while ago. I was like, oh, I should be able to find that article that I wrote on it like a long, long time ago. I had to go through like five pages of articles about that same topic, and I would say the opinions on those articles were split 50-50. The fact is you said there's so many results. How do you become an expert to filter that, right? So I I think it's really important to have really good sources. So we did go off topic. You are absolutely correct. Let's go to number four. (laughs) Number four. And if you include the Cures Act, this is five. Narratives and soap notes. Oh, yay. Our favorite thing to discuss I know you and I in how many different groups, probably, I think at one point last year during the shutdown, somebody would post something in one of the groups, 
and you and I would Facebook message each other and say, hey, do you want to get this one in this group and I'll get this one in this group? <laughs> yeah, because it, so, it was so prevalent. And I really have been talking about this since I think 2018, 2019. It just has taken a long time for it to trickle down. And people, again, we have new people that aren't aware of this kind of stuff. So do you want to explain it? Because I know we've talked about this before, but people are like, well, what the heck are they talking about? Go ahead and, and explain it. Here's the simple way. For so many years, when you submitted a claim for a crown or a bridge or anything that was by report that required a narrative, the person submitting the claim would write the narrative in Microsoft Word. And then if you're sending your electronic attachments, you'd screenshot what you just typed in Microsoft Word because the doctor's chart note would say, number eight, crown, full porcelain, shade A2, Use two carpules of lidocaine, next visit, seat crown. Mm -hmm. And that was the short note. Yep. So you would have to say to the doctor, why did you do this crown? Well, it had a fractured, you know, a fracture on the distal wall, or it was missing a cusp, or it was this. And then you would write that as your narrative, screenshot it, send it off. Well, some of the insurance companies got wise to that mm -hmm. and decided, let's make it a rule that the only acceptable narrative is the chart note. And technically that didn't have to be a rule because that's actually the way it's been all along. That's the way it should have been. Yeah, this should not have been something new, but unfortunately such is life. Right. Now you have insurance companies that have a rule that says the only acceptable narrative is a copy of the chart note. Yes. People didn't know that and they would say just exactly what I just said. But when, I, when my doc does a crown prep, this is what their narrative says. No fracture on a mesial wall, no missing the lingual cusp, no, no reason at all for doing it. That's where soap notes come into play is your chart note has to say not only what you did, but why you're doing it. Yes, the why and the expected result. Right. And that's the key that so many people forget about. And they don't realize if you and, you know, this is getting ridiculously over the top technical, but I am an over the top kind of person. So we'll go that <laughs> way. If you put a you submit a narrative that says fracture on the mesial wall or, you know, the, the lingual cusp is missing and you submit that narrative and your chart note doesn't say that, technically the person who wrote the narrative is practicing dentistry without a license. See, that's important. And it does sound over the top, but you are spot on. So every narrative prior to these changes, every narrative should have been either written by a dentist or it should have been read and approved by a dentist. Now you and I know a lot of office managers know what the heck they're doing. So they were like, oh, yeah, they look at the x-ray. Oh, yeah, that's that's a fracture. Yeah, I'll go ahead and right. write it up. I mean, I did it for a long time. Problem is, my boss was really good at making sure that I did the right thing because he's, he's kind of like that. It was good that he did that because I learned the right way to do it. But I wrote a ton of narratives. Yeah. Then I was like, oh, well, this is easier to just screenshot what the heck he writes. So that was easier. But I know 2018 is when I saw Delta Dental Northeast come out with it, but I am almost, I would say 100% sure that I saw Delta Dental Kansas do it beforehand because I know I read it and it was a different Delta that I was like, that's surprising. When did right. they get kind of ahead of the curve? 
But I know 2018 is my earliest. I have the document. I have the screenshot. That's the earliest that I can point to. But I have been teaching it for a long time, as have you. I have four offices that I sort of pilot and test, and they agree to be my guinea pigs. And we did that starting in 2018. We don't have very many requests for additional information. They love the clinical notes. They're perfect, easy to read. My friend, Leslie Lytle, uh, she's in North Carolina. She has been doing this for a long time. She's not in that, that group before, but she's been doing this for a long time. She never has to send in additional information. It works, but your doctor has to have good documentation. And once they realize their documentation isn't good and it costs them money, then perhaps they'll want to fix that. So that's how I would, I guess, present it to them that if you don't do this, I can't get money for you. So I'm kind of grateful that the carriers are are making it more uniform as a rule, actually, because I just think that makes an insurance coordinator's job a lot easier. Oh, yeah. Now let's bring it full circle. Ah. Finish by talking about the last thing and the first thing we talked about. Remember two, three years ago, that lawyer group who was going to every dentist's website and saying, your website is not Americans with Disability Acts compliant. Yes. We're going to sue you if you don't pay us $5,000. Well, what do you think is going to happen when the Cures Act goes into effect and patients are able to read every single chart note you've ever written about them Mm -hmm. and they find out your chart notes do not follow standard of care? You think there's going to be no law firms out there promoting, hey, log in, check your app, check your website, check your chart notes. If they don't meet these criteria, they are not clinically acceptable. And technically, you don't have to pay for that service you had. So what you said sounds, again, over the top. But all it takes is for one office to get a whiff of this, law firm to get a whiff of this, because what will happen is they will say, yes, we may take your case. Please log in and get a copy of the charts and we'll review it. And they're thinking, oh, it's another case. When they get a look at the printout, they're like, this is easy money. Yep. They're going to go after it and they're probably going to say, hey, do you know anybody else who goes to this office? And are they, if they're not happy, let us know. That's how this happens. Right. And because it hasn't really happened on that scale in dentistry, we kind of feel like it's not going to happen in dentistry, but it's really easy for this to happen. In medical, this happens all the time. Lawyers are like in a feeding frenzy, not all of them, because there's some ethical ones out there, but sometimes it's a feeding frenzy when they get a hold of a doctor that they know is doing things fraudulently. Right, exactly. And it's it's not even, I mean, listen, you know, we both know Roy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not even a question of you're being unethical. It truly is a question of, you just don't know. Right. That's what's going to get people. You know, I mean, I talked to somebody the other day and they said 20% of our chart notes say patient equals PITA. <laughs> How do I delete all of those in preparation for the Cures Act where patients are going to be able to read their notes? Yeah. So people, PITA isn't just PETA, like a delicious snack. <laughs> right. It's pain in the. Mm-mm. And there are offices that have little codes. We had our own codes. Oh, yeah. And people know what that means. People know, you know, if your note says she's a Karen, they're, they're going <laughs> to know what that means. And you know, the problem is you can't now go back and edit that note because once it's saved and you edit, it draws a big red line through it and draws all kinds of attention to the fact that you tried to change it. 
you're not supposed to change a chart note anyway. Point of clarification, the Cures Act is going to allow access to offices, or the patient records. Is there a time limit on how far back? As long as you're required to maintain the record. Oh, so, wow. So what if you were chartless and your stuff is on paper? Like maybe you converted this year. Right. It only applies to digital information. Ah. If I switched three years ago from paper charts to electronic, it'll only be the past three years. The paper is excluded. Ah. However, if you took the paper chart, scanned it all in, and put it into the patient's chart, now that's included too because now it's an electronic version of the paper chart. Uh-oh. Here's Act applies to electronic versions of everything. Whoopsie. I was telling people in 2016 when this law was going through Congress, stop scanning patients' papers. Stop. Don't do it. Keep them. Put them in a storage unit. If I need to send my assistant or I need to send, you know, my 17-year-old son with his 1982 hoopty down to the storage unit to get a record, that's what I'm going to do because I don't want to scan them all in. Oh, but it'll make it so easy. No, it won't. If this thing passes, and that's what I was saying in 2016, if this thing passes, it's going to be a nightmare. And people kept scanning. Well, the ROI on just sitting and scanning everything in is is not there. I mean, let's be honest. You just need to make sure that you have enough to go forward with the record. I do understand there's two schools of thoughts on that, but I am more of let's not get fined. So I'm more on your school of thought, but I'm not a paperless converter. So I'll leave that to you and the experts. So let's go back to, though, the clinical notes. So for those of you who aren't using electronic attachments, and right now you are writing a narrative and you're sending in via paper, I understand some of you can't make the change. I run into quite a few people. They were like, my doctor is absolutely not going to do electronic attachments. So I have to do it this way. I get it. I sympathize. So in that case, you would just need to make sure that you photocopy the chart. Don't write your own narrative because they still want a copy of the clinical notes. Uh, You're going to have to do that. It's something that I think you should aim for, and I'm trying to get people to do it. I keep telling people, just pretend the switch has been flipped for 2022, because you're going to see that in more more provider mans. And I'm glad for it. I'm happy. I, I am too. I think it's it's a fantastic push because it's going to, and it's terrible. Again, we said this, it's terrible that you have to push people to do what they should have been doing all along, but... Sometimes that's what we have to do. Just like I tell people, you know, we have to sell dentistry, not because we're used car salesmen, but because sometimes you have to help people get out of their own way. Absolutely. If I'm helping you make the decision between a new tattoo or that new crown, I am going to sell my heart out because I know one of them is going to be better for you than the other. That's a really good analogy. I like that. Tattoo or crown. Right. For some people, that's a tough decision. It is. When you think about this, the last post-COVID survey I saw said the average American, a $500 unexpected expense would deplete their savings. Yeah. We're not competing against trips to Hawaii. We're competing against people being able to afford food. Yeah. For the average American, even their 50% copay on a crown depletes 100% of what they have saved 
their entire life to this point. That's the scary part. Yeah. And that's reality. It's hard for some people to fathom. And it's even on the flip side, it's hard for some people to realize that that's not how other people think because we have employees sometimes where they don't even have that in the bank. They're living paycheck to paycheck. So it goes all around. Inflation is not going away. In fact, it's going to ramp. I believe, I believe, I shouldn't say it's going to because I'm not Nostradamus. I believe it's going to get worse. And I think we're in for some rough times. And that means patient presentation, treatment and case acceptance rates may go down a tiny bit. You got to give yourself a little bit of grace, but the education never stops, you know, letting people know why they need what they need, because when things come roaring back, you'll be ready for them and you'll have made that connection with them all along the way. So is that our five? I guess we got to our five, didn't we? We got to it. Look at that. Not quite 50, but we'll take five. We'll take five. So we will make sure that you come back though, because I know you're going to have more, you know, tips along the way, but tell people how to find you and then tell people where you're going to be. And I would say October, November, December, how can they find out how they can get to you? Well, if you just go to my website, which is practicemechanic.com, that will give you all the information, upper right-hand corner of the website. There's the resources page that we talked about. And then there's one that says upcoming classes, October 22nd and 23rd, which is right around when this is coming out. Mm. I'll be in Charlotte, North Carolina, November 5th and 6th in Dallas. And then November 19th and 20th in Nashville, Tennessee. Oh, that's a fun town. December, we'll see what happens. I was supposed to be in New Jersey. New Jersey. Hoboken changed their seating capacity because of the Delta variant. Wow, all the way in December. So yeah, you were saying you were planning on 100 people and they're like, nope, only 30. You're yep. like, what? Yeah, what? exactly. So we'll <laughs> we'll find something to replace that. It'll be the beginning of December. So hopefully somewhere warm. Yes. We'll find something nice. It'll be in a warm place and people can just fly from all over to a nice warm location a couple weeks before Christmas. The fact is learning is much more fun when you're in a nice place. So if you can make it a destination, like you said, you know, in our pregame, that's the way to go. People follow Rick, go to the Dental Billing, Coding and Insurance Academy, but really just type in Dental Billing, Coding Academy or some variation of that name. Go in there, ask to be admitted. Where is it an open group or are you admitting people? No, it's admission. That's how I keep out the the salespeople. Oh my goodness. Sometimes one gets through your tight rope and boy, do they get pounced on. (laughs) They do. They should not be, because they're in there and they're so bold. Use my service, use my service. And what really bothers me the most, I'll just go ahead and say this and then we'll wrap up, is that people don't realize, yes, it's your group, but it's also your company and you provide services like billing. You provide a lot of outsourced services. You're not just a speaker. You have a whole company designed around that. And then you had all these billing companies coming in and saying, oh, use me, use me. And I was like, wow, it's like somebody going into somebody's house and saying, hey, hello, Mrs. Wife. But you know, I'm, I'm over here and I can be the new Mrs. Wife. Don't worry about old Mrs. Wife. And I just thought that was rude. So I'm glad that they've really stopped that. I don't see that much anymore. Well, they, I, I think I booted, I booted them all. I mean, I look at it this way. I don't use the group to sell. I mean, when somebody else will say, well, we use Rick, 
they'll get 30 comments. I didn't know Rick did that because I don't use the group to sell myself Absolutely. or exactly. the company. It's not what it's for. It's for information. That's why we're here. It's for learning. It just really just was, I mean, you don't go to Burger King and show up with a whole bunch of tacos wanting to make some sales. Like it's just weird to me. But anyways, that's my rant, Rick. Thank you for indulging me on this. Thank you. <laughs> I want to encourage everyone to go check them out. Check out the Academy group. Check out Andre Shardan's group and the ADOM group. I am usually floating in and out of those three on a regular basis. So I will check in there too. But Rick, you're not just our practice mechanic, our billing guru. You're a great guy, a good friend. I'm really thankful that you came on the podcast. So I want to thank you for being here. Thank you very much for having me. I 100% always enjoy any time we get together. Dear listeners, I feel that way about you all. Thank you so much for spending your time with me. You know, I appreciate each and every one of you. We're all super busy. So thank you for making time for me today. The show notes will have any links that we referenced in this episode. You can also find links for my book and for my live events and webinar schedule. I speak often around the country on management and insurance issues. Come hang out with me in one of my classes. I promise you'll laugh and learn.